So let's uh, talk about the book of Romans very quickly. In this book, Paul outlines a, a grand vision, a theology, a biblical theology for the entire world. He does it in very briefly, but it is so deep and so the soil, so rich, that uh, over the years, preachers and scholars have written whole books. I mean, this, uh, this book right here is, is uh, by William Hendrickson. It's a fantastic commentary. And there are books like this that are double this size on the book of Romans. Um, so you, we could spend years studying the book of Romans, and some people have, but we're not going to do that. I've been taking a little bit higher altitude look at this book, and I hope that it's helpful to you. Paul wants to tell the church in Rome, how in the world do you live in this world? How do you live in this world as a Christian? What's wrong with this world? Why are, is it so crazy? Why are people the way they are? Why is the world the way it is? And Paul starts off right from out of the gate. The world is the way it is because of us, not because God made it this way. And we've got to quit blaming God, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or a Christian, or whoever you are. have got to quit blaming God for the way the world is. He tells us in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, why the world is the way it is. And it's because human beings have suppressed the truth about God and His creation and replaced it with a lie. And that, that action that we all do, it's, it's not like just Adam and Eve did it. We all do that. We do it with gusto. That has created a broken world and a broken relationship with God. We can no longer be in the garden. We now live in exile. We're outside. And what does that mean to be outside? What does it mean to be lost? And he talks about it in 2 and 3. He says, you know, our, there's no way to reapproach God. There's no righteousness, no justification, no acceptability that we can manage on our own. We can't do it. The Jews couldn't do it. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, he starts talking about the Gentiles. Nobody's going to be able to do it. And finally, he ends the chapter in 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But... God has made a way through the righteousness of Jesus Christ freely to be received by those who will trust Him. Freely given to us. Chapter 4, he talks about Abraham and he explains that even this great father of the faith needed to be justified by faith. He could not stand on his own merits. Even Abraham, who's the father of the faithful, cannot stand on his own merits. And in 5 and 6, he tells us that Jesus, through the power of His Holy Spirit and the union of baptism, the sacrament, the holy sacrament of baptism, the power of sin over us, who will trust Him, is broken. And you want to just sing, you know, angelic hymns of how great this is. Hey, we're free or we're broken. No more, no more power of sin. It's broken. And then in chapter 7, he gives us this amazing... Uh, picture of the fact that even though the power of sin is broken, even though the penalty of sin is broken, that's in chapter 3, even though the penalty and power of sin, penalty paid, power broken, we still live in a world 
where there is the presence of sin. So there's tension. Tension in this world. And we should expect to feel uh, like we're still in the wilderness. And I think a lot of us uh, who have trusted Jesus, that's where we're struggling. How do I live my life? Do I have to be as holy as Chuck? Well, don't even try. I mean, really. Nobody's going to get to be as holy as me. I'm so full of holes, I don't know what's wrong with me. No, you don't want that. You don't want to be... Holiness doesn't mean that you're just a good person. He's not talking about that. He's talking about our relationship with God and how we live even in the tension. I mean, my goodness, all of us struggle with sin. Some of us uh, struggle more than others. Some of us are better at hiding it. Come to church, look good, everything's looking cool. Look at this blazer I'm wearing today. Isn't that great? Oh, yeah, wow. I mean, think about it. But who knows you down to the bottom? Who knows what you're really struggling with? And when it dawned on me that Jesus Christ saw me all the way to the bottom, that He knew all the secrets that I keep hidden and still loves me, still cares for me, still accepts me, not because of anything I've done, but because of His love for me plus nothing, that will change and alter your heart. That will change inside your DNA. And you can begin a new trajectory in a different direction. You'll still struggle. In fact, a struggling I am going to submit to you today, it's going to get even more um, difficult. Because as you get better, you see more of yourself. And that can be disturbing. So let's read this. Uh, I've printed it today for you in the bulletin from the ESV, which is a very good translation. It's the Bible we have out there. You don't have a Bible and you want one, go back there and take one home with you. Uh, and, and, and start reading the book of Romans. The ESV is a good translation. But what I've done is I went and got uh, Dr. Woost's, Woost, Kenneth Woost's translation, and I've plugged in some of the, the, the crisp uh, meanings that he has pulled from the language, the original Greek, and so on. And uh, I've inserted that with my own little editorial. So as we're reading it, I'll put in some stuff, and you listen. You can make notes if you want, okay? So here we go. Listen to Romans 8. And we're going to start with verse 12. Just read those six verses through 17. Since then, brothers and sisters, it's one of the places where the gender neutral should be used, brothers and sisters, we are debtors or we're under obligation, not to the flesh. The flesh is the old nature, the old person. We're not in debt to that. We live to live according to or what, uh, is, what Will says is, habitually under the domination of the flesh. So the break that comes to us is one of, of a, a break so where we're not habitually enslaved to sin any longer. In other words, it's not constant and we shouldn't expect it to be constantly. Even if there's an addiction, and I know what that is. I started drinking alcohol when I was 12 years old. And by the time I was 18, it was out of control. And I could say more, but I want you to keep living in the illusion that I'm a good person. 
So this habitually putting to death the deeds of the body, that's what we can do and the Spirit is empowering us. Let's go on. You will live, he says, if you do that. You'll live. Get in the battle. Start fighting. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit with you. For all who, being constantly led by the Spirit, have received the Spirit of adoption as sons. He uses a very interesting word here, and this is one place we should not use the gender neutral. It should stay as sons. And this, in our day, it makes, you know, you know with all the inclusivity and, and the political correctness, we want to put children in there instead of sons. But I explained last week to you that in the context of Romans, Paul is using sons intentionally. He could have used technon, he could have said children, but he doesn't. He uses the word for sons, and he, and he grabs the word for adoption, and he combines the two words, a big long word, but it's sons, sonship. For women too, because in the Roman world, only men could receive the inheritance. Only men. And Paul comes in subversively and upsets that. And he said, ladies, you now too are sons in the sense that you're going to be full participants in the inheritance that God has for you in the same way that God refers to men as brides of Christ. You see, these things are metaphors. They're metaphors to make clear to us our relationship to Him. It's magnificent what He does. Let's go on. The spirit of adoption is sons. It, who, one who places you or changes your status. Listen, ladies. Changes your status to adopted sons. So, He's not saying you become male. He's saying you become equal in every single sense of the word, fully equal to men in reference to the inheritance of God. Do we have different roles? Well, yeah, we talk about roles. But this is beyond roles. This is you, who you are before God. And that says something, especially in our day, when there's so much confusion about gender and other things. God has a way of bringing people who are estranged from Him in the, in the strongest ways back into fellowship with Him. And everybody's on an equal basis before Him. He looks at us and He sees sons and daughters, but sons and daughters all equal before Him. It, it's... It's mind-boggling and life-changing. We receive this status to be adopted as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit implants this in us that we're all calling Him Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself is constantly bearing a joint testimony. In other words, the Holy Spirit, even if you struggle the rest of your life, with a sin. You know that He will constantly be there with you. He will not let you go. Not for anything. Not, no matter how much you shake your fist at Him. He will stay. The only person in your life that will stay. If you have a perfect marriage, one of you is going to die before the other one. So there you go. Nobody can stay. 
He's going to stay all, all the way to the point of death. When you die, He's there. Nobody else is there. I mean, they're there, but they're not there. He will be there. This is the promise of Christianity. Constantly bearing testimony with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, or since, we're children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is crazy. With Christ. Provided we are suffering Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. So there you are. I'm going to talk about several things this morning. Who is being led by the Holy Spirit? That's the first thing we're going to ask. What is this? This being led by the Holy Spirit, it's a, a huge subject. I'm going to make it brief, but I hope it'll help you because there's so much bad information and practice about the Holy Spirit. Who's being led by the Holy Spirit? Second, what the, being led by the Spirit is not. We're going to talk very briefly about what it's not. Thirdly, about what it is, and there's going to be two parts to this. And then finally, uh, why the Holy Spirit is leading us. So let's look first at this, who is being led. In in six verses in chapter 8, Paul uses plural language. He says, brothers and sisters, adelphoi, which is the plural of brothers, but it should be translated in a gender neutral because that's how it's meant. That's its meaning in the context. All of you, brothers and sisters, y'all. See, they, I don't know why they don't have y'all in here. It should be y'all, but then, you know, they don't consult with us in Texas when they write these Bibles. I mean, I don't know. So, anyway, brothers and sisters. Then he uses the, the plural we, us, we. He uses the plural you when he talks about you or y'all, like I said. All who, we cry, Abba, Father, we are children. All through these verses, he is using a plural. He's talking about you all. Who is being led by the Spirit? Listen to what William Hendrickson says in this commentary. It just blew me away. The spiritual leading of which he speaks is definitely not, definitely not the Spirit's gift, listen, to a select few. It is definitely not a spiritual gift to a select few. It concerns every Christian, every child of God. Listen, folks, is being led by the Spirit. Every one of you. Even those of you that are in, you know, some crazy place in your life and you don't know what's going on, He is there leading you. Well, I don't know about that. Yes, He is. This is... This is Paul talking and Dr. Hendrickson explaining. Every child of God is being led by the Spirit. Everyone who is being led by the Spirit is a child of God. So they go together. If you're a child of God, you're being led. If you're being led, you're a child of God. Those who are being led by the Spirit are are the people who are described as being in Jesus Christ. 8.1, that's the first verse. No condemnation for those that are in Christ. They're being led by the Spirit. They're walking according to the Spirit. That's verse 4, chapter 8. 
They're being spirit indwelt. That's 9 and 11. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And those who are putting to deed the death, the, to death these, these deeds that are in our body, that we're, we're engaged in, in resisting and fighting and recognizing sin. Being led by the Spirit applies to everyone equally, every believer. It is not a gift. Listen carefully. Being led by the Spirit is not a gift of the Spirit, but our right, our inheritance as children of God. See, it's, it's a promise to you that when you trust Jesus Christ, He He sends His Holy Spirit to live in you. And He doesn't live in you one day and then jump out of you the next day and then come back in when you straighten out or clean up and then go back out. He's there for the whole ride, the whole journey, the whole time. And this is why later on He's going to talk about us groaning when sin does overtake us. There's, you would not groan. You would not worry about it. You wouldn't even care. You wouldn't even recognize it. In fact, you'd rejoice in your sin. I loved my sin. And then I didn't. And the only credit I can give is to the Holy Spirit. I can't give it to myself. What did I do? Save myself from death? Did I raise myself from the dead? No. So He promises to come and live in us. And he stays. And you say, well, I'm, my life is too much of a mess. He can't stay with me. Well, yes, he can. And yes, he will. And he won't hold his nose at any moment. He'll just get closer to you. The more you struggle, the more you hurt, the more you're in pain, he comes in closer, closer, closer. All right. So what it's not. Listen carefully because there's so much, I mean, there's junk out there I can't even tell you about. We all love the idea. Everybody loves the idea. Adam and Eve love the idea of having some special ability or knowledge, some gift or insight uh, that God is speaking somehow to us directly. And you hear this, this has become just a regular part of the way Christians talk to each other and I hear it Almost every time I meet with somebody, I've seen all the extremes of it. And i got to tell you, being led by the Spirit is not that. It is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not intuition. It's certainly not some special knowledge. It's just that maybe you're good at guesswork. Maybe you have the gift of suspicion. You know, I watch these dumb shows. I'm watching a Lebanese soap opera right now that is just, I'm, I'm addicted to it. And it's all in Arabic and all that, and I watch. And there's this other show that some of you may have seen on Netflix about uh, arranged marriages, Indian arranged marriages. It's really good. Second season, I love it, uh, and I watch it. They do have English and Hindi, but I like both languages, so I'll watch that too. And when they're arranging a marriage, the marriage uh, matchmaker, she hires astrologers uh, and face readers. And I didn't know all this stuff exists, but they have these face readers. You can show them a picture, and the face reader looks at the picture, and he looks at the person bringing the picture, and he, he says, well, this person is, 
is uh, very steadfast, very strong. And then he looks up at the person, and the person that brought the picture is going like this. You think they know? Yeah, they know that you're a dummy. And they're going to fill their pockets with that. And that's all this, this esoteric Christianity that has come into our world where we say, you know, the Spirit told me. Uh, the Holy Spirit led me. Uh, I have this feeling, this, this, I, the Lord showed me this, or the Lord showed me that. Yes, maybe he did. And more than that, of course he did. We live under a sovereign God and providence of God. But it's too much. Do you hear what I'm saying? You're saying too much, especially when you start saying it to others or think that you have or somebody has this special ability because all of a sudden we are transcending what Paul is saying when he says everybody's being led by the Spirit. I have never in my life had God speak to me. I do have intuitions. I do have feelings. Sometimes I'll meet with somebody and I'll go, you know, that kind of thing. But that's just me. But once I say it's the Holy Spirit or once I even imply that it's the Spirit, well, you know, I've been praying and I feel this, now you've put it on another level and all the other person can say or think is, okay, if God is talking to you, then I got nothing to say. We need to be careful how we use this idea. Claiming, listen, claiming to take the ordinary providences of life and then somehow read into them some spiritual knowledge or understanding. And people do this some in extreme. If you burn charismatic churches like I was, man, it is rampant. But it has made its way into ordinary Christianity. Uh, ordinary Christianity. Folks, this kind of talk and this kind of thing that gets going in our heads is nothing but Gnosticism. It's the same problem Adam and Eve faced in the garden, wanting to know more than God had them know. And then look at what it got them. It's what Dr. Walkey called Christian divination. It's fortune cookie Christianity. It's saying things that could apply, but to anybody. You say, well, yeah, but it was it was exactly right. It could be anything and it could be exactly right. It's like a horoscope. So if you have those feelings stuff, that's fine, have them. But don't um, imply or suggest or say they are from the Holy Spirit, because now you're saying too much. If you want to say I feel like, say I feel like, I think. I believe, I. Put it in yourself, not in him. Because being led by the Spirit is not that. It is not some special gift of insider knowledge, okay? What is it then? What is being led by the Holy Spirit? Well, several things. Uh, you know, we, we sang this song this morning. Uh, let me see, I wrote, I wrote it down, and I hope I can find it in my notes. This last verse to this song. Um, my worth is not in what I own. If you look in your, your bulletin, you don't have to do it right now. This last verse, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. That 
is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads us to see our unworthiness, our need, our weakness, our poverty. But he also, at the same time, leads us to see our value and our worth. And that's what Paul is going to talk about. To be led by the Holy Spirit is an awakening, disturbing sometimes, shocking sometimes, of an awareness of our sin. Look at verses 12 and 13. He reminds us continually. So his job is to come in. This is being led by the Spirit. He is continually leading us and making us aware of the sin in our life. And even as you get better and you get more holy or whatever, you just get to be a better, better person. You're trying to improve your life. Even then, he's going to become more helpful in exposing deeper sins. Not condemning us, never condemnation. 8.1 said there's no condemnation, it's gone. What he's there to do is bring light to whatever darkness is left. And if you're a Christian, you should be praying, Lord, shine your light in my life. Let me see it. I want to know. And he will bring light, little at a time, because we could not stand it. If he, if he turned the floodlights on our life and pulled the curtain back and let everyone see our nakedness, the shame and the guilt of that, all of a sudden that trauma would kill us. We would blow up. The Holy Spirit leads us by coming in and showing us where we need to follow our Lord Jesus. And He does it in a beautiful and gentle way. He reminds us we're not under obligation. He's going to tell you, you know, you don't need to do that. I can't help it. You don't need to do that. Trust me. And so you go and you do it. And you feel terrible afterwards and say, oh, what do I do? What does he say? What does he say? Come on, church. Christ the King. I'm leaving. If you don't get, somebody doesn't get this, I'm leaving. What does he say? Repent and believe. Thank you, Sarah. Repent. Believe the gospel. Don't try to fix that. He's continually bringing the, so that we will turn to him. Yes? We're not unlegal. He reminds and empowers us, what Dr. Woos says, to habitually be putting to death the deeds of our body. See, that we can do. We can identify whatever these things, a temper, an addiction, a anger, lust, whatever the problem is, gossip, talking about people, telling people that the Holy Spirit told you this and this and this, all those kinds of things. He's there to remind you continually to put those things to death. Our new obligation, R.C. Sproul says this, our new obligation does not require us to act on our own, independent of the Holy Spirit within us. He's not saying try harder. It's not Nike theology. Just do it. What is it then? Trust me. Come to me. Then we will go and do this, that, and the other thing. And the ways he does that are innumerable. We don't have time to talk about it. But remember this from J.C. Ryle from his book on holiness. True Christianity is a fight. Do we find 
in our heart a spiritual struggle? He's asking you, do you find in your heart a spiritual struggle? Are you in battle? Do we feel anything of the flesh lusting against the spirit and spirit against the flesh so that we cannot do the things we would? Are we conscious of these two principles within us contending for the mastery? Do we even know there's a battle going on? Do we feel anything of war in our inward person? Well, let us thank God for it. Let us thank God for it that there's a battle going on. Somebody has come and told you, you have cancer. And here's how we're going to treat the cancer. Right, Dr. Sarah? Yeah. Right? There are lots of doctors and people, medical people here. This is what he's doing. Not only do you have it, I'm here to help you, and I will not leave till you're with me and the cancer is in the pit of hell. Right? No, I won't leave you. We're going to fix this thing all the way. So a little bit now, a little bit tomorrow, a little bit later, little by little, by little by little, you just do, you trust him the rest of your life. You quit looking at you, you start looking at him, and, and the sin which so easily besets us or troubles us, we together with this blessed Savior who loves you and absolutely has all the power, chip away. We chip away. It's magnificent. It's a good sign, Ryle says. It is a strongly probable, it's the most probable, strongly probable evidence of the great work of God in you, working in you. It's the evidence of that. All saints are soldiers. Anything is better than apathy, stagnation, deadness, and indifference. Do you see what he's saying? So what is the second part of it? Well, it's this part about our worthiness. Unworthiness, yeah, he's going to point that out, but also your worthiness. Look at verse 14. He reminds us continually that we are sons of God. That is not children. That's not gender neutral. That is full inheritance. Full. Male and female. Look at 15. He reminds us that as sons, we are free, not slaves. What this means is that as you look at the troubles in your life, the sins and and the, the things that are just crushing you or actually have you underwater. Let's just say that sin has taken you, you're underwater. And you are in church, and, and you're looking up, and you're saying, I'm drowning down here. I don't know what to do. I'm enslaved. I can't break these chains. What do I do? There's no way. Well, folks, here at Christ the King, I've told you, then look down. In AA and Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, many of you may know, uh, they talk a lot about rock bottom. And I've told you about rock bottom. I say, you know, look, if looking up is causing you despair, I'll never get out of this thing. What do I do? Look down. There's rock bottom down there. And I'll tell you, if you're a Christian, what you will see at rock bottom is your Savior on a cross in chains of darkness being held captive and broken. 
And if you keep looking, if you will let yourself go down into that, you won't ever touch rock bottom, but get down there. You will see Him breaking the chains, coming down from the cross, crushing the grave, coming out with all that power and not passing you by, but catching you up with Him and bringing you out of the grave with Him. That is freedom. And you say, well, I'm, well, I'm all on board for that. It takes the rest of your life. I won't kid you around. That not going to happen. Just Sometimes it does. Instantly He will deliver people from certain things. But generally, it is... The, the, the road of what, what uh, uh, Dr. Peterson says, the long journey of obedience. Just daily, daily, daily. Talk about that in just a second. Look at verse 16. He remi- so he's, he reminds us that we're free. We're not slaves. And fear is replaced with Abba. Father. In other words, you are welcome to come into relationship with God as your dear Father, as your Abba. Well, 16, he reminds us constantly that the Holy Spirit is there in us, bearing witness or reminding us that he's there. Any consciousness that you and I have that something's amiss with our lives, we can gratefully attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Jack uh, Miller, uh, late, late Dr. Jack Miller, who's a professor of theology at Westminster Seminary, and many of us have read a lot of stuff from Jack Miller. Jack Miller was Tim Keller's mentor, and the mentor of an enormous amount of the, of the greatest scholars that we love today. And Jack Miller was not famous, but he said this. Tim Keller and others have promoted it, and now it's out there and often attributed to Dr. Keller, but it's not. It's Jack Miller. He says this, cheer up. You're far more sinful and weak and evil than you ever dared to believe. Cheer up. But then he says, cheer up. You are far more loved and valued and accepted than you ever dared to dream. Can you hold those two things in tension? And that's where Christianity just becomes life giving, is being able to take those two things, put them together, not 50 50, 100% both and say, man, I'm still in the presence of sin, but I am so loved, so valued, not for anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me, in me, as me, for me, and now will do through me. Oh my goodness, it's just magnificent. So, why is he doing this? Well, let me tell you. I think we all want to have these uh, real big-time experiences, and I, I've had a few, but they've never been, I don't know, they, they've mostly been me. I have to admit it. Behind it, I believe God is doing it, but He, met, he has met me in, in places that, that are dark, and uh, I, I've been in hotel rooms where the only hope I could have was to open the drawer and get out a Gideon Bible and just read that. 
or else I wouldn't have been here today. And many of you have those stories where God does this. But when I look back, it's all very ordinary, mundane even. How are we led by the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. I love this from our pastor back in Florida, uh, Bob Ingram. He ran Ligonier Ministries for nine years, a wonderful man. And he said this in a sermon one day, and I wrote it down. Who can foretell? Listen. Who can foretell where simple obedience will lead? The significance of our lives is often measured, listen, in its cumulative effect rather than the heroics of a single action or a single deed. The ordinary, this is magnificent, the ordinary becomes through God's sovereign management extraordinary. The ordinary becomes extraordinary if we're trusting Him. Just the day-to-day grind. In the day-to-day discipline of ordinary obedience, listen to this, God is pleased over the course of a lifetime to produce extraordinary results. Every one of you are fully, completely being led by the Holy Spirit every moment of your life. He doesn't lead us into temptation. That's the prayer we pray to the Father in the Lord's Prayer. But He leads us nevertheless, wherever you are, and He's going to be leading you 99.9% of the time in the ordinary, mundane things of life. Picking the kids up from school. Changing the channel when something's inappropriate. Looking for ways in which you can give up your rights for, your, uh, for other people, your spouse, your friends, co-workers. How can I serve my country better? How can I be a, a light in this place of darkness? How can I come out of my, my clamshell and get out there and get dirty and take some risks and don't be afraid? of having friends that are like crazy people. Because really, underneath the surface, you're a crazy person. We know that. We've got to get out there and not be afraid. There's no fear. There's no, the mundane things, we don't have to be heroic. I'm too old to be heroic now. I can't even climb a ladder. No more heroics for me. But I know that God will work through me the mundane things every day if I just will trust Him. Will you do it? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you. Your kindness and your goodness to us, it's just stunning. And I know that we we hear these things, we listen and we just don't know what to do with it. Well, I don't think we need to do much other than make a decision that we're going to trust you. Bring our mess, our life, all that junk, bring it to you and begin the long obedience in the same direction towards Christ our Lord. Help us. Help us to do that. Amen.